0: That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Monday night edition of the pod. This game was technically within 10 points, although really, Boston never got closer than 7 after trailing by 18 at the end of the first quarter. So really another blowout. Uh, Dan Feldman has noted that we're on an unprecedented streak of blowouts right now. But nonetheless, a, a lot of interesting stuff to talk about in this game. And what was it that stood out to you the the most here, um, other than, of course, the Dera gear... 44 point performance from LeBron James on 28 field goal attempts.
1: Well, I guess I probably shouldn't start with the foul palooza that was the third quarter, but for me Ugh. what was interesting about this game is that after the first quarter when Cleveland could just completely outclass the Celtics and looked like, you know, it was kind of going to be one of those games again, Boston largely held even with them. They actually, if you for those who care about this, they won all three of the final three quarters by a little bit. And I thought a big difference between the first quarter and the rest of the game was Cleveland's effort and effectiveness defensively. Boston did a better job, and some of that was Cleveland not doing what they were in game three and the early part of game four. But also I thought they did a better job, they meaning the Celtics, of attacking Kyle Corver specifically.
0: Yeah, that was the plan to Corver and Love, when Love was in the game and he ended up getting five fouls much of the second quarter. I thought that that was actually a big turning point because Love Despite the fact he only had four points, I thought that he is so important to Cleveland's offense and in terms of spreading the floor, giving James room to work. Corver, uh, in particular, you know, Jalen Braun went right at him. Braun, not the most efficient game, 25 points, but zero turnovers, 10 out of 23 from the field. And that was actually more efficient than the Celtics were as a whole in this game. So they were going at Corver, they are going at Love. They were trying to get a, a one-on-one matchup with Tatum or Brown on Corver. That is the reason that Ty Lu, who uh, once again knows better than we do, he switched Corver out of the starting lineup. He went to Thompson at center. We were not in favor of those matchups. At least I wasn't, and you can correct me if I'm wrong about you. Uh, he went away from you there. You are correct. Yeah, a- and Thompson has continued to cause problems for Al Horford, Who was a little bit better tonight, uh, and actually was plus two in this game as it turned out. Uh, but... That's uh, really has been a change, especially in these Cleveland games where they have largely defended better. So Corvo was out in part because of uh, he was such a defensive liability, really got attacked. He, they tried to use him at times when both Braun and Tatum weren't in the game so that they could try to minimize at least the damage that could be done there. They also, when Love was in the game, they really wanted to get him switched on Al Horford. And finally, they arrived at something in the third quarter where they actually had Al Horford run a pick and roll off the dribble with Love's man to get that switch. Uh, They also went to a lot of Marcus Morris pick and pop early, which had some varying success with Love guarding Marcus Morris. But I I thought that that's really kind of what they've been reduced to in some ways. I thought they also tried to run more. That's where Brown made a lot of his hay. It was pushing in transition. Same thing with Rozier. So they did a little bit better, but it was really too late. You know, they only scored 18 points in the first quarter and that just wasn't good enough for this team and they were down the entire rest of the game because they couldn't score again in the first quarter And then when Horford went out towards the end of the quarter they really lost touch and it got up to high double digits and they tried to claw back but never really made a ton of progress
1: a really fascinating stat from this game is that Boston fundamentally changed the Cleveland's offense with some of their approach and this generally worked better but not entirely so Cleveland had 13 assists in the first half and two in the second half
0: that's a great point and LeBron for all of his brilliance in this game with the 44 points I actually didn't think this was one of his best efforts he really had to struggle and part of that was the strategy, part of it was Marcus Smart, who had a just horrendous offensive game, but uh, was a big part of what they were doing defensively. Smart had the assignment on James and was able to avoid just getting back down. They were hunting Rozier much more. But James had seven turnovers and only three assists in this one. That said, it was his just relentless drives to the basket that kept them into a decent lead, still up 13 when the fourth quarter began. And then Boston carved five points off that real quickly while he sat but then he returned and was able to restore order they never really got any closer than that so uh, i thought they did a good job of making him put on the floor making him just attack switches one-on-one a very interesting adjustment that was made was early lebron was the screener with george hill usually who terry rozier was guarding being the the guy in pick and roll and so what they did then is they had lebron try to post up rozier Rozier would try in front, force the lob into him. And then they brought over the scram guy who was a bigger guy to guard LeBron. And they had Rozier, as soon as the ball was in the air, sprint away to the opposite side. And LeBron had a couple plays like they set up, a, he set up Love on the weak side and then Love got it to Corver for a corner three there. like that. But that was really interesting. And then in the second half, the plan was, we're going to have LeBron handle it and have Rozier's man set the screen so that then LeBron already has the ball. When he's backing down against Rozier, And so now you can't do all this stuff. Where you scram him out of there. You got to actually do a real hard double. Because there's no entry pass. That's being lobbed up in the air. Uh, So that was a very interesting strategic tête-à-tête. But we'll talk a lot more about this game. After this from Blinkist. You probably like learning on the go. Since you're listening to this podcast. We like to think that we provide a a lot of information for you guys. and, And try to explain concepts about the NBA. But of course, there's a whole other world out there aside from basketball. At least for you guys, me and Danny, we, we don't have any world outside of basketball. Uh, but nonetheless, I make time for Blinkist on occasion, and with Blinkist, you can transform over 2,000 of the best-selling nonfiction books into powerful packs that you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes. If you think about all the nonfiction books that you've read in your life, once you're done with that book, what do you really have? Do you you're entertained while you read it? But if you're reading to actually acquire knowledge if you just read a book, could I get you to spend more than 15 minutes reciting what you actually learned? Probably not like the information you're actually taking away can really be contained within 15 minutes. And that's what Blinkist gives you. We've had a lot of people on Twitter actually say that they subscribe to Blinkist that, you know, I think there's a lot of crossover with our audience and that they really have liked it so far. So on the tour NBA show, actually a couple days ago commented on that. And they're always adding new titles as well. They have a special offer just for our audience if you go to Blinkist.com slash Capspace, easy to slash Capspace, we talk about it all the time in the program, we'll talk about it later with the Sixers. You can do that right now and you can start your free trial or you can get three months off your yearly plan when you join today. That's Blinkist, you spell it B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash Capspace. Start your free trial or get three months off your yearly plan. Once again, that's Blinkist.com slash Capspace and you can get some titles like The Snowball, Warren Buffett and the Business of Life by Alice Schroeder. Get Smart by Brian Tracy, and many, many more. Once again, that's Blinkist.com Capspace. Let them know that you came from us. What else you got here? I have
1: a place for us to... Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is a stat from Chris Forsberg at ESPN. The Celtics missed 15 dunks and layups. I'm guessing that was just the shorthand for the restricted area during game four, and those 15 misses were turned into 15 points by the Cavs, and I'm actually surprised it was that low. Yeah. They they got eight, eight shot attempts and seven free throws from it.
0: Yeah, 19 out of 35 at the rim in total, so that sounds like about right, and then a further zero for five from floater range, and they just really struggled to hit shots regardless. Seven out of 26 on above the break threes as well. Uh, only 23 out of 30 at the free throw line, quote-unquote, saved their offensive night, but again, I mean, this is a bad Cleveland defense and they put up about a point per possession. It was a much faster pace than we've seen in this series, which was maybe was to Boston's credit, although that first quarter in particular was 26 possessions, and Boston lost that by 16 points. So, uh, But I thought generally they did a better job of pushing it. The last three quarters, uh, their offense was better. But a lot of that, too, is just the Cavs' bad defense, especially in the second and third quarters. I thought that LeBron, we noticed how he set the tone. He had a, a great play. In the first, you know, he rotated over a few times, but then he really was not that engaged on the defensive glass. He had one play, which we tweeted out, in which Aaron Baines gets an offensive rebound and goes up for a layup while LeBron is just standing there adjusting his arm sleeve, which is like, all right, maybe you feel a slight amount of discomfort with your arm sleeve in the wrong position, but like, yeah, you know, maybe you could try to rotate over to Aaron Baines, who will miss a layup if you actually contest him, by the way. Uh, and there are a lot of those plays not closing out, on shooters you know we didn't see those turbocharged rotations from lebron and that was despite the fact that in the first quarter he was four of four he had 11 points but he they're trying to have a lot of other guys get involved as well in the first quarter so he wasn't expending as much energy going to rim in the in in the first quarter and especially in the second it was really in the third maybe when it it was more excusable that he had to take time off with all the dribble attacks he was using but uh, per usual like the team took their cue defensively from LeBron there are more miscommunications anytime Tristan Thompson and J.R. Smith are involved in some sort of screening action you know that there might be some sort of an issue uh but at least they only played Jordan Clarkson in the first half that probably helped them some as well so Boston was able to take advantage a little more of some of those mistakes to kind of get back into it but really much of that even was in the fourth quarter so uh, I think the one thing they can take heart from is that their defense in the second half was really good you know uh, they Finally stopped J.R. Smith, who went off in the first half with three three-pointers, but finished three out of nine. No Cav had more than 13 points. So I think they can take some heart from their defense, and then they just got to hope that they turn back into the Boston Celtics at home, which are uh, a good offense, whereas on the road they are a miserable offense. And I'm sure everyone knows this stat, but it's worth repeating. 9-0 and at home, now 1-6 and on the road in these playoffs.
1: Another big dynamic shift from game three to game four was the possession slash turnover game. So Cleveland is a notoriously low turnover team when their offense is humming. In this game, Boston took more shots from the field and actually ended up taking one more free throw because they were able to keep the offensive rebounding even in terms of individual offensive rebounds the team ones might have bounced it one way or the other a little bit and cleveland committed 18 turnovers nine of which were live ball boston committed nine turnovers six of which were live ball
0: yeah and five of those actually were by marcus smart who had he did have five assists he had a couple of nice passes but overall one of the worst offensive games that we've seen from anybody in these playoffs two of eight it eight points he flopped for some free throws which uh had me going crazy on the twitter nba show uh that last one where he deflected lebron's pass and then somehow managed to flop even after deflecting his pass and get a foul call i thought it was interesting too how short of a rotation they used with brown only played 21 minutes in the last game again they were getting blown out he played 39 horford 42 minutes uh, they really tried to avoid any minutes without Horford out there. Uh, Smart was 30 minutes. And then Marcus Morris was only 24 in part because he had five fouls. Uh, but then it was really Ojale nine minutes and Bain 16. And that was it. You know, like that, they really stuck to, you know, a six and a half man rotation almost. And, and it's another one of these examples where, you know, they just there are only so many guys who can play. At these highest levels, as you get late into a series, as they decide, hey, we got to have Warford at center to be able to score against these guys uh, on the road. And, you know, I mean, there's nobody else that I would have wanted to play. You know, Shane Larkin is injured. Greg Monroe has been terrible defensively. And then you've got Abdel Nader and Gershon Yabusele. So this is really their team. Uh, But they really extended the minutes of these guys in this game. What else did you have here, or should we talk about what to expect later in the series?
1: Something John Schumann has been watching really closely and was interesting in this game is that in the early portion of the first quarter, when Boston got outscored, they were using Baines as Horford's sub. They were not playing those guys together. Later on, they started going to it a little bit more often, partially because of Marcus Morris's foul trouble. You know, he and Love were both just dealing with that for the second, third, and eventually the fourth quarters, and... He noted that after after arguing after game three that that Bain should start that that combination of Baines and Horford was plus ten in about ten minutes of play.
0: Yeah. Also, I would love to know who they went up against. My right instinct. Exactly. Is that was my that was my thought too. Those were some non-LeBron minutes, or that they were really some bench units uh, as well but I thought I mean Baines again I thought he really was pretty good defensively I mean, he had one play where Love was able to get a three up off of him but it was a, still a pretty decent contest he blocked a Corver three he stopped LeBron in an iso forced him into an impossible fadeaway jump shot which you know he can make sometimes so I shouldn't call it impossible but a difficult fadeaway jump shot so I, I thought he was good he also had five offensive rebounds a couple of dunks so yeah I mean he played well I mean I, I've I i don't know whether he was this player in Detroit. I don't think that he was, especially his first year there, where you know he's one of the worst plus-minus players in the league with their bench, which was, was miserable at that time. You christened it the B&B losing factory for him and Steve Blake. But, I mean, the way he's been able to move his feet, like I, I remember him just getting traffic-coned Back in those days in pick and roll defense and now really he's uh, he's much better and he's uh, become a solid rim protector as well even if he gets dunked on a lot he still contests a lot of shots So, so I mean I don't know if I would try that though I mean it's one of those things where it's like we can't score so we're gonna put a big center out there that doesn't really make a lot of sense it's still scoring. That is their biggest problem. I thought that they largely defended well enough to win in this game, especially after the first quarter. I mean, to force two assists in the second half and seven turnovers from LeBron. I mean, that's great, great defense from this team. So I don't think they need to change that much there. I think 16 minutes for him is enough. And they got to just continue to lean on Al Horford. I and mean, it does seem, it seems like both of these teams are just like kind of so thin and like these exhausted boxers at this point in the series. Like n- neither of them look that amazing maybe we'll see that from boston when they get back home
1: earmuffs for sixers fans aaron baines averaged 3.2 three-point attempts in that series in the second round he has taken two against cleveland
0: yeah they haven't been spacing him out as much i don't
1: think i agree and and there are a couple times where he's gotten like that play where lebron was adjusting his was adjusting his sleeve where baines is actually driven a little bit because he maybe he didn't have all the way he didn't have space all the way out to three and I, i've been impressed with him defensively consistently throughout this playoffs and then throughout the regular season i thought he was an underappreciated part of what boston was doing successfully there but another player who or, or not another but a player who i thought had an underappreciated game well it's hard to know but i thought george hill did a really good job yeah i, I was gonna transition he, to
0: him too he was great he
1: he was the best defender on terry Rozier overall Ro- Rozier ended up with a solid line but I think a lot of that was compiled in other matchups and you know getting getting some catch and shoot shots which was certainly advantageous for him but I thought Hill also did a good job of you know picking his spots offensively you don't have to do the same amount of work when LeBron James is a teammate and when he's on the floor but I also thought a key element that George Hill brought in the th- in the second half was playing him when LeBron was out just gave them a capable steward, and so they didn't fall off a cliff during those minutes, and Cleveland needs needs that stability, even if Hill plays better when LeBron is on the floor.
0: Yeah, he's really the only other guy on this team who can do anything off the dribble, because Jordan Clarkson, they didn't even play him in the second half. I mean, George Hill, 38 minutes, that's got to be by far a postseason high for him and he gave them just enough pick and roll play like he banged a three when they went under on a pick and roll he got that fifth foul on marcus morris driving to the rim where he kind of got undercut a, a little bit so just in those minutes to be able to put up five points even though they got out scored 10 to 5 during the non-lebron minutes to get him a three minute rest was just enough really to keep them out of contact in this game and then kyle korver i mean it's got to be close to a career high three block shots although one of them was a, a strip that players like those strips to be called blocks as opposed to especially if you know you don't actually get a steal off of it it's better to be counted as a block and then you like get something in the stats where if you just deflect it and it goes out of bounds and stays Boston ball you don't get anything in the stats but nonetheless he had a couple of just straight up blocks on Jalen Brown and then he came up with 14 points on only eight shooting possessions which was pretty huge And, and Yeah, defensively, it was a struggle. Braun beat him, but I I think his offense was a huge part of it. They had to take him out in the second quarter, and that's when they were able to stanch the bleeding. But in his role, despite being attacked defensively, he did at least was able to do what they needed from him uh, on offense. And and he had that great hustle play where he outran like three Celtics as well uh, to get a Cleveland turnover uh, off a loose ball into the backcourt. So he played a really nice game also for Cleveland
1: couple other small things one that outlet pass and catch from kevin yes. love to lebron in double coverage was completely ridiculous and i mean the, those two guys that's basically the combination you're going to do if you have to throw a pass into double coverage from your own free throw line you're going to use kevin love and lebron's going to catch it and then i thought larry nance played a little bit better in this game a little bit more fight defensively was able to you know hold his own on switches i don't think he should play over tristan thompson i i
0: yeah yeah. 38 minutes for Thompson, by the way, 13 and 10 for him, or 13 and 12 for him, excuse me. And, and he also, as he usually does, forced a couple of team offensive rebounds uh, that didn't show up in his stat sheet. Cleveland actually uh, ended up with 30% offensive rebounds, which is a lot uh, in Thompson's efforts for a big part of that. Love had a, a key putback as well during the non-LeBron minutes. So that that was uh, Larry Nance had a couple of uh, offensive rebounds. The offensive glass was a, a big advantage for Cleveland when you throw in those sure. team offensive rebounds.
1: And so good to, good to get a couple of minutes from Nance. I don't know exactly what his role is, you know, with Tristan playing as playing much better than he did in the regular season, but still good to get something from him. And you and I talked about it on the show, but it is worth noting for the podcast that one of the big benefits of getting Kevin Love in foul trouble, especially with how well the Celtics hunted Corver in the second quarter, is that they don't have a reasonable facsimile. You know, either at the four or the five, they could go to like Jeff Green or, you know, even if they want to go with Corver, but then there are the limitations there. So getting him in foul trouble, if that's through Horford posting him up or just going after him, because I-, I mentioned this on the show that it's always funny to me when bad defenders can't help themselves from fouling, even though they're not providing much resistance in the first place. But especially because LeBron doesn't get in foul trouble, getting Love- into difficulty can be beneficial and i think the same could be true for george hill he again just i don't think of him as a particularly high foul player
0: well so now it's probably time to turn to game five Uh, any adjustments that come to mind we usually by around game five you might be played out a a little bit i mean i think boston just continuing to run is really important they tried to run maybe a little bit wildly they missed some dunks and layups in the in the first quarter that maybe could have changed the complexion of the game a little bit uh but I, i thought the celtics I don't want to say that they found something, but after that first quarter to compete as well as they did to win every other quarter, if only by a little bit, I thought it was really big. I thought that they, you know, LeBron had 44, but they still slowed him down to some degree. You know, they're still going to be hunting Terry Rozier. Obviously, that's something that they're going to have to deal with, but I thought that Boston dealt with that absolutely as well as they possibly could. And they also only gave up 23 three-point attempts in this game and that is a great number against this Cavs team if you can hold them to that few three-point attempts you've really done something now the the offensive glass was a problem but I don't know that that's going to get a ton better with the lineups that they have to put out there and Cleveland shot pretty good percentages on twos outside the restricted area they were 14 out of 31 on those shots but that's a lot of shots a lot of so so the shot distribution was good and the uh, Amount of threes allowed was really good. So I think they it can feel pretty decent about their defense other than the first half, which is half the game, but nonetheless, it's, uh, that's something to take away. I mean, what about from Cleveland side? I mean, it, you have to wonder, we talked about Boston short rotation, Corver, Jeff Green, Clark's only played four minutes. Rodney Hood played zero. Osman's not playing. Calderon is not playing. So are, are they going to be able for the rest of this series? They have a little bit older of a roster then Boston, if these guys have to play heavy minutes late in games, how is that going to add up compared to the younger legs of the Celtics? I mean,
1: both teams are running short rotations, but Cleveland, you mentioned that. And Cleveland, you can already see it in that they don't push nearly as aggressively in transition as Boston does. And at the, from this point forward, you know, this was true after Game 3, but Cleveland and Boston are playing every other day, so you don't even get those extra rests or anything else. And, I mean, Game 5 is going to be... Yeah, with travel travel in between between, every game, and I think game five has the best chance of anything so far, but maybe the best chance in the whole series of really being a knockdown dragout, and so if if these guys, LeBron, Horford, George Hill, if all of them are expected to play 38, 39-plus minutes, it's going to be a really rough series for them, however long it goes.
0: This does feel like it has seven written all over it. Uh, but especially again with that crazy home road disparity, I I, can, I cannot remember maybe if you have a remembrance of this. I cannot remember a team that had this big of a home road disparity. I mean, because we're not even talking about the record, but we're also talking about just like getting destroyed in some of these games and then being very effective at home too. I mean, getting so, some relative blowouts at home. So if this were any other series. And you'll recall, I picked a Cavs sweep it in this one. So I clearly believe that Cleveland has the talent advantage. What Boston has been able to do over these first couple of games has slightly disabused me of this notion. Going home 2-2, home court, in two of the last three games, historically, you're a massive favorite. But with LeBron James and the Cavs looking a little bit better, especially defensively, I and mean, that's really, to me, is the biggest thing that's going to come down to. Is LeBron and then the Cavaliers taking their cue from him, are they going to be able to defend this Boston team. I actually don't anticipate that the Cavs are going to score incredibly well in Boston Garden, but if they can defend the way they have, it could be close, and then we'll see, you know, the finally LeBron versus Brad Stevens in the clutch. We're waiting for this matchup uh, for so long, and we just haven't seen any clutch games yet. Um, but I, I still I believe that Cleveland will win in six. Uh, I guess I'm picking Cleveland to win this next game, but, man, I mean, I, I, and I, I still would pick Cleveland to win the series because I think they got a decent chance in a game seven-two even if they don't win it in six but man i mean this is pretty close to an absolute toss-up which is rare that you can say that uh at this point in a two-two series
1: here's the home road split and i'm using nba.com so they don't filter out garbage time at home boston 9-0 and plus 10.8 net rating boston on the road oh and that's the third best net rating of any playoff team of the 16 on the road
0: yeah it, it, the home the, net rating the third best yeah, home behind net
1: rating right the warriors and right. of all teams the milwaukee bucks because the bucks smoked the celtics in all those games. <laughs> on the road boston one and six negative 11.6 road net rating is the fifth worst but definitely the worst of all of the teams that are still remaining in the playoffs everybody else is in the top half
0: yeah i would be shocked if in anything in recent history I mean, for a team that played at least two rounds, you know, we'd have to put that stipulation on there, obviously, uh, to have had this big of a home road disparity. Because generally, if you're good enough to have had home court advantage this late, because usually if you have that big of a home road disparity, you're probably the a team that lost in the first round a a lot of times, right? So if you're actually good enough to have home court and you're also have this big of a disparity, you know, that's how you get to the conference finals with this type of disparity in four games into. The conference finals uh, do you have a, a any different pick than i do or do you think uh i've got it right here although uh boston fans will realize i've not gotten it right very often about their team in the playoffs
1: i expect cleveland to win but i expect it to be close and that's the reason why i'm i'm predicting cleveland will win the game is because i think they're a better clutch team than this version of boston because Boston's offense, I'm still very skeptical of what it'll be, and Cleveland's defense can harden up. I mean, we saw even just the grabbing and holding that, that they get away with. We've seen this every single year LeBron has been there in the play since he returned, that they just get a little bit more handsy, and that works out well. 538 has it at 57% for the Celtics. I think that's a little bit overstating it, but it it is. is—I I mean, I think of that game as pretty close to a 50-50 proposition. I think you were saying it referring to the whole series, but— Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I'm fascinated for it. I'm looking forward to it a lot. I mean, it's still not close to to Warriors Rockets in terms of my own excitement level, but it'll be an exceedingly important game in this series. And, you know, if you want to say by extension for the the fate of the Eastern Conference, if we want to get dramatic about it.
0: All right, that's probably enough uh, on this game. Be right back to talk about the Sixers in a moment here. Well, if you'd like to go see those Philadelphia 76ers that we're about to talk about, whoever's on their team next year, SeatGeek is the best way to do that. SeatGeek saves you time and saves you money for whatever kind of tickets you're looking for. Concerts, sporting events, basically anything that has tickets. Go ahead and take a look for it on SeatGeek. The reason it's so incredibly easy is because, number one, they aggregate ticket selling sites together. So you don't have to go look at a bunch of different sites anymore. And secondly, they've got these big green dots that show you which are the best values the darker green the bigger the dot the better the value it is so you just look in the section that you want to sit in find the best value based on those dots and select it you could trust their algorithms i found an amazing deal in maybe about 90 seconds for a bucks wizards game i went to with my fiance earlier this year and you can do the same and you don't have to worry anymore about spending like 20 minutes trying to find tickets for this event it's a 90 second. Two-minute process for me uh, on SeatGeek. What's more, every purchase of theirs is fully guaranteed. You can shop for tickets with confidence, whether it's sports, concerts, comedy, theater. SeatGeek is your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket. And long-time listeners know this, but if you are a new listener or haven't used SeatGeek yet for some reason, you can get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase via that familiar Capspace code. Sixers have a lot of Capspace. You can create a little bit more cap space in your wallet by using the cap space code to save $20 off your first seeking purchase and let them know that you came from us. All right. Well, we've been waiting to do Philly, even though they were eliminated because we want to see where they ended up in the lottery The Elton Brand had to squeeze into a dual desk with a Celtics representative. But Philly does end up retaining that pick at number 10, the bounty from the Michael Carter Williams trade years ago, uh, in addition to the bounty of not having Michael Carter Williams on your team anymore so where are they looking at or i should say what are they looking at right now in terms of space for this offseason
1: so assuming the sixers renounce jj Redick, which does not preclude them from signing him it just precludes them from using non-bird rights to pay pay a little bit more money the sixers have about 24 and a half million in base cap space and then they can clear through a couple different methods they can clear to about 33 million without too much trouble and then getting beyond that, they can do, but it gets a little bit stickier. And for reference, $33 million is about too short of the 35% maximum.
0: Yeah, and that, of course, is what LeBron James would require if we we're talking about Paul George. That would be estimated at $30.3 as a, a starting salary. And just to be clear, we haven't talked about these concepts if you're a new listener. The idea of renouncing, that doesn't mean that you can't re-sign J.J. Redick. That just means that you wipe his cap hold off the books, and because Reddick made twenty three million last year, his cap hold, having been on the team one year, would be one hundred and twenty percent of that, or twenty seven point six million. If the Sixers were an over the cap team, they would have the ability to retain Redick for up to that twenty seven point six million. That's what that cap hold does. But because they are likely use, looking to use cap space, they would have to take that cap hold off their books, and then that means that they would have to use cap space to re sign reddick essentially he's having only been on the team one year he doesn't have this advantage which you have sometimes if you're on the team for longer and you have a lower salary where you know your cap hold for early bird rights is 130 percent of prior salary and then it's either 150 or 190 percent. but if you had a low salary before you can keep that cap hold on the books and then use your cap space and then resign the guy afterwards to whatever the maximum would be but that won't be the case with reddick because he's only been on the team one year the warriors face the same issue with kevin durant last year so just a, a quick little cap knowledge there you can learn more about that at sports business classroom this summer of course sports business uh so that's how much space they have to work with you mentioned that they could get to 33 million without too much trouble what machinations would be required to do that
1: so there are a couple different things they can do the biggest one is that jared bayless has what will be an expiring contract for 8.6 million they could either trade him Give give up an asset, obviously it's a negative value deal. Or they could stretch him, which would take that eight point six. You divide it by three, and then you spread it out, so that would clear you know about about six million of that eight point six. They could also keep Poshniks, who was their first round pick. Was that last year?
0: Yes, it, yes, it or was. was. It two yeah. years ago,
1: it was last year. So they could basically keep him in Europe for another year, and then that would clear another one and a half million. And then they could trade or waive Rashawn Holmes. He has both a team option and a non-guarantee paralleling tj mcconnell except that tj mcconnell has already had his option part of his picked up and theoretically if they want to the other thing philly could do to clear space is they could move the 26th pick which is their own first rounder which has a cap hold of about 1.4 million they could move that for something that doesn't have that kind of a cap hold so they could do all those kind of like little things and that's how i get them clearing about another 10 million dollars. yeah
0: justin anderson also makes 2.5 million as well now guys like mcconnell holmes they got cork maz timothy Luago Cabarro, all those guys are low-cost guys that you really would like to keep around if you can but their problem is that with joel Embiid now making 25.2 million and then pretty much everyone else on the team is you know making a medium salary but they're important obviously ben simmons makes 6.4 markel fultz 8.3 that's another possibility too that you could see is if they were to trade markel fultz That certainly would be a sign that they have some big score coming in, and that could be a way to open up more space should they want to. I don't anticipate that that's going to happen, but you never know. Certainly his value is, well, I won't say it's as low as it could go, because if he comes back next year and he still can't shoot, it'll get even lower. But it's certainly not as high as it could be. So I, I don't think there's a lot to talk about there. I mean, he's been talked about as maybe the centerpiece of a Kawhi Leonard trade also um, also worth noting too what do they have four second round picks this year
1: yeah they do 38 39 56 and 60 the first two of those are substantially more valuable than the last two but 30 and 39 we, we usually draw the the line about 45 of okay these picks have have some real value and those could either be used to stash guys like jonah bolden who might be coming over this year or they could be dumped for cash they could be traded to a future year there are a lot of a lot of options there the challenge for philly more so than almost any other team in the league, is that they have a lot of roster spots spoken for, so they could use it for probably other ways rather than somebody that's going to be on their roster next year.
0: Yeah, and depending on who they sign, guys like Maz, TLC could be expendable. Brian Colangelo talked about in his season-ending presser that Bolden is likely to come over. The good news there is that second-round picks don't have a cap hold until you sign them. So now they probably... If they use cap space, the only exception they would have would be the room mid level, and that'll be about $4.4 4 million. So, and they're not going to want to break into that for Bolden. Uh, they probably would only have a minimum contract to offer him, which, you know, can't come back and hurt you because you can only give two years for a young guy like that. We're seeing the Warriors with Patrick McCaw, and then it'll be Jordan Bell next year in that predicament. But uh, enough piddling around here. Let's get to uh, the big fish. So, LeBron James. If he is available, in some ways it seems like a logical destination. Philly has the cap space. They have a lot more talent, certainly, than Cleveland. On the other hand, I certainly have a number of concerns about his fit with Joel Embiid, a low post player, with Ben Simmons, a guy who plays very similarly to LeBron, except can't shoot at all. It really is just, you know, it's very very difficult for him to play off the ball. There are reports that LeBron is looking to play more of an off-ball role later in his career, but frankly, he's not been as good at that you know i think you're going to run into some diminishing returns there so it's not certainly a perfect fit although on talent it obviously would be a monster team
1: lebron is a transformative piece for this for them i talked about this a little bit with Derek bodner when he went on real jam radio and the differences between george and and james because of how they fit in with the sixers and lebron makes team even if he wants to play more off ball he is a just a massive force on his team and also we've seen that in terms of personnel almost every single team he's been on other than Miami where they kind of had three guys they couldn't move they've changed around a lot over the time because what is successful with LeBron James is different and getting shooting you know that'll be important and and defending and you know capable ball movement but probably not ball dominant players and that would be a challenge I mean the Sixers are young enough that some of their patterns can change but Simmons in particular as an off-ball player does not really inspire me
0: no I I don't think so now the other thing that they would lack is shooting and so you'd wonder if they get LeBron then what happens to Redick is he willing to stick around for a one plus one at the room mid-level and then maybe they offer him promise him that we'll uh if you opt out we'll give you a raise next year you know certainly Redick would be a good fit With those guys having as much shooting as you possibly can would be important. And Redick was so huge to what they did offensively this season. I mean, they had large portions of this year where they couldn't score at all. You could also say, too, that if they get LeBron, perhaps that means Robert Covington, who had a horrible series in that Celtics series. Really really disappointing uh, after he had a great defensive regular season that he might become expendable as well uh although certainly uh, he's a guy who probably should have some pretty good trade value and and i think that's probably maybe one thing that we're forgetting about here is you know between all these young guys between passechniks I, I believe i i had it right at one point and now we haven't talked about it in a while so i think i've forgotten exactly how to pronounce it again but uh our lithuanian listeners will uh actually if he's latvian now i'm really gonna die uh i think he's lithuanian though um will uh kill me for getting that wrong but Please uh, educate me. I'll I'll do better. They've got number ten this year, which you can talk about who they might select if they keep that. They've got twenty six. You know they've got all their own picks going forward. They got all these second rounders in the future. So especially around this time, like those when nobody is really trying to trade picks to get better, and there are teams that are trying to move some salary. Uh, but as, even if it's attached to guys who can play a little bit, I think the opportunity, even with you know some lower end first round picks, to remake the roster if they do get LeBron, or potentially Paul George as well, is uh, a substantial one.
1: Yeah, and almost everybody, you know, other than probably Embiid and Simmons, is on the table. I mean, Scharch has been an yeah. important part of what the Sixers have done well, but he becomes very duplicative of he'd be complimentary, but there's just so many guys that are similar, and they'll be they'll have other needs, and so basically, if they got LeBron or even Paul George to a point, they could go in a lot of different directions with their existing talent. And a question I wanted to ask you is, where would you draw the line between spending on a veteran free agent in 2018 versus saving that money for 2019, which they could potentially do?
0: Yeah, in 2019, Bayless would expire, so they wouldn't have to do anything to move his money which would be nice uh, to not have to give up an asset to do that. I'm not sure that second rounders is going to get that done if you're going to straight up move him. I think if you don't get LeBron and you don't get George, probably the best use of your money, I don't know that you're going to spend all that money on Reddick this year, but close to the best use of your money would probably be bringing him back. You know, I'm not sure who else is out there that helps them more than J.J. Reddick when you consider that they just desperately need shooting. You know, I'm not sure that, Avery Bradley or Contavious Caldwell-Pope, especially when you consider that this is a team that wants to keep swinging for the fences, right? If Reddick would take another one-year $15 million deal, even one-year $20 million deal and let you run the cap space game back next year, some of these other guys will be looking for longer-term money. Some of them might be looking for a big one-year deal to get back on the market again in 2019. The 2019 free agent class certainly is still developing, but... We've got Jimmy Butler, Clay Thompson, looking like he probably won't be a part of that. Although God, he would be a good fit as there as, as anyone would be. Obviously, Chris Middleton would be a nice fit. Kawhi obviously would be unrestricted as well. And basically, you know, they don't have anything in terms of like new extensions that would impact anything that summer. So they certainly could run it back uh, if they wanted to in 2019 and just kind of bring this team in, maybe find another piece or two. Uh, they're losing Amir Johnson but the, and Ilyasova and Bellinelli will both be free agents and they would have to probably use cap space to retain those guys uh, for m- more than the minimum. Or, you know, they might just stay over the cap as well, bring back Redick, use their full mid-level exception. They could do that also and still add some something to this team. So I, I think that's, uh, if I had to pick the most likely outcome, that's probably what it would end up being to me because there's just nobody else that sexy behind LeBron and Paul George.
1: And that's an amazing shift of expectations from the beginning of the year when we talked about, and also just how this team has evolved, that we talked about, oh, Catavius Caldwell pope or Danny Green or Avery Bradley, and now I would say all of those guys at what we expect their contract values to be— are beneath what the Sixers are looking for. They're looking for a, a real game changer, an additive piece that can make them, you know, a championship contender. And spending 15 to $20 million on any one of those three guys doesn't look nearly as good now as it did in July of 2018.
0: Well, and the other thing, too, is that uh, this was a lost year for Fultz and a lost year for the organization in terms of information about what Fultz is, right? I mean, if, if, Fultz, if Fultz doesn't get to at least have an average jump shot, he and Simmons are a terrible long term fit together. Like Fultz can st- might still be able to play if he's more of just a penetrator. You know, if he's, you know, he, he would have to just kind of play more like Russell Westbrook. But that's not the player that he was drafted to be and that people envisioned. They thought he was going to have a plus jump shot. And he's not quite the athlete that Westbrook is, although he's got a lot more moves than Westbrook. So, you know, he would have to kind of turn into that sort of player. And that sort of player is a horrible fit with where Ben Simmons is right now. So they might have to think about trading Fultz, you know, the, to lock in something now. Especially when you could just run it back in twenty nineteen, and now you know there is the danger that maybe in twenty nineteen more teams have space. The market won't be as team friendly. You know, I, I get that. There's some risk, obviously, with not just getting the best player that you can now. But especially if Redick would take another one year deal, I don't see anyone else who makes them better next year, unless it's James, uh, unless it's George. I mean, and you know, I don't think like Chris Paul or something is is going to come there. Uh, He is technically a free agent. There's really just nobody else out there uh, that I think is too fantastic. They already have a center. Obviously, there's some good centers here. So uh, I'm not sure what you do. I mean, maybe – is there anyone on the restricted market that you would try to make a move for? I don't see anyone really.
1: No, the – most intriguing restricted free agents are at positions where the Sixers don't really have a need. I mean, Eric Gordon or Jabari or somebody like that, they don't They don't make sense with this team. So no, I don't see anybody. And Capella and Jokic, obviously, you know, really, really good players, but not a fit with Embiid. So yeah, I, I don't see restricted free agent. The agency is really being an option. And there isn't even really somebody that would make sense as a sign trade because again, all these options are open to the Sixers. They could go in a ton of different directions, but there isn't really anybody that I see as a good fit there. And as you said, they're, you know, they don't really have any new expenses kicking in in 2019, so it would be really rolling the dice because then, depending on what happens with Simmons and Scharch, those guys are, A, extension eligible in 2019, but then we will be getting raises in 2020. That really is a use-it-or-lose-it summer for them, and those can always be perilous. But if you don't really have any good options in 2018, that could still be better than what is on the table.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny... I was thinking that this would be a really sexy off-season preview, and now as we get into it, it actually—I I don't see as many options as I thought I did. Uh, you know, whereas,
1: You're know, you now going through the process I did writing the off-season preview for the yeah, Athletic. Yeah, because
0: it re- like, uh, you know, we, we thought it would be a lot more interesting at, at the start of the year, obviously, but it's just sort of—it's all, all right, well, does James want to go there? Does George want to go there? No? Uh, okay. And, and then, you know, it would be interesting to see— they certainly could use their full mid-level exception, even if they bring back— Reddick, they could use their bbae as well um you know we'll see what kind of demand there is for bell and ellie we'll see what kind of demand there is for ESO. you'd think both those guys liked it there and, and might want to come back they'll need some someone at backups i don't know if they want to just straight up roll with rashawn holmes you know they might want to go with uh someone who can shoot would be really helpful to play with ben simmons since they stagger he and bead quite a bit um you know, they'll probably want a, a few more kind of old head vets in the locker room as well. Maybe they could bring back Johnson, but just at a much lower number. Uh, is there anyone that for the full mid-level exception that's not on this team right now that you would want to go after if you were them, assuming that, you know, the plan is to just bring back Reddick?
1: Well, so the, the challenge there is then going to a multi-year deal because they're right, right around like 33 to $35 million if let's assume no money for Reddick or any of those guys, and that doesn't include yeah. draft picks. And, and, for... and
0: that you're talking about in the summer so, of 2019 now
1: in 2019 yes. so you would really want a kind of a one a one-off type right. deal yeah. one year and
0: 8.4 8.5 million whatever the mid-level ends up being is probably what we're talking about here so what might be realistic at right. that number
1: well so i don't think you're going to get any of the starting caliber wings for that even if they want to do a make it like avery bradley like let's say for whatever reason there's no market for him after having basically a lost year i still don't think he takes that with the sixers especially because he probably wouldn't start so then you're looking more huh, Speed. it's not really an inspired market well, well maybe. Let's, let's look at
0: it from this perspective first what do they need uh assuming they bring back they're able to bring back most of this team uh what's shooting for as a need
1: shooting i mean defensive versatility is certainly a good thing for how they approach their system shock creation so like one guy i thought of was isaiah on a make good contract like with the structure you talked about before maybe like it doesn't fully guarantee until a certain threshold but then yeah, that could, that could make some sense for them just as a, a another option in case Marco Foltz doesn't work out. But I would be looking more on the wings. I mean, especially with a lot of the guys going to be, be picking up their options, like I think Wilson Chandler will. Then I think Bogdanovich is going to get his partial guarantee made fully guaranteed by the Pacers. There just aren't really that many good kind of like low rent options that make a ton of sense for them. I think
0: they do need some shot creation on the second i mean just someone mm-hmm. on this team who can run a pick and roll that you can't go under on would be nice you know i mean jo- joel Embiid having someone that he could play pick and roll with, i mean i think they just need to do more of that with simmons obviously they're gonna have faults that that's one of his big strengths in theory although if you can just go under on him that makes it tough also but I mean, if you think about how they struggled against the celtics reddick and bellinelli together you know i'm not sure that bellinelli is someone i would want to bring back when he was way over his head i don't know if i want to pay for that especially the opportunity cost. Uh, So if you're going to be going up against the Celtics in the playoffs, or you're going to be going up against LeBron James on some other team in the East in the playoffs, I mean, you definitely need some more versatility. Uh, I think they need another guy who's wing size who can defend. Now, of course, that's what everyone needs. You know, uh, Luke Mbamute, who actually, you know, he obviously has a good relationship with Embiid, has spent time in Philadelphia during the years that Embiid was injured is someone that they could look at certainly though he might want longer than a one-year deal Wayne Ellington I would much rather have him than Ballinelli you know if so he's another guy those guys are about the same age uh Ellington's a little bit younger actually I don't think they'll be able to afford Will Barton or Tyreek Evans on a one-year 8.5 million dollar deal I could I'm scared but I think they might look into Jamal Crawford (laughs) which I would not think would be very wise i actually think vince carter might be someone who could help them a little bit in a bench role and also yeah, be I could also him. be like the old vet at the same time like he, he could be useful
1: another option for them that will solve one of their holes and i actually think the most likely here is backup center is who they take at number 10 because with the 10th pick they won't get a starter like that that's just The way this works but if they can get a rotation player that would be better than we would expect but if they ask that guy to do very little and just say okay your job let's say it's a wing is to defend as hard as you can for 15 minutes and take any shots that come to you and hit as many of them as you can they could make that work like with i I haven't gone through these guys yet but like either of the bridges mikhail or miles and then if it's a center then whoever falls to 10 you know they could go after somebody like that and having that with a rookie scale guy could actually be a lot cheaper than getting it in the in the market the problem is that player isn't going to be established and as we've talked about numerous times in the show you don't expect rookies to be good so that's a weakness yeah
0: i I mean i think there are going to be some guys available in that area though who i think could give them more versatility going forward i mean i think you you have to draft for the team you think you're going to have three years from now um i mean i a backup center yeah maybe but like that's this is the number 10 pick this is a chance to get a starter. you know Embiid is going to be here uh, it'd be really tough you know I, I know you don't want to draft for need but there's a zero percent chance that the guy you pick at number 10 is gonna be better than Joel Embiid I mean you have to just really not like any of the wings and uh you know Michael Porter Jr. might be available in that range he's more of a ball in his hands guy not necessarily what they need uh, other guys directed around that that range are McCall Bridges Miles Bridges shy gilgis alexander you know some some guys who are long arm versatile kevin knox could be available in that range as well so those i think there are players there who can fit into you know the kind of versatile game ability to shoot it a little bit ability to switch that i think they're going to want to have defensively so I, i and again maybe they trade that pick you know maybe i'm not sure who exactly might be available there uh but there haven't been indications they want to trade it yet i think unless they're trying to clear space though they should probably use that i mean this is going to be their last chance to draft this high and get a guy who could be a starter for them so i think if there's someone that they like you might as well take that especially because with simmons fultz and if you're whoever they sign going forward i mean there's going to be a big tax crunch they're going to need somebody on their rookie contract contributing three years from now hopefully at a starting level
1: and that's exactly the same reason why i would try to keep 26 if they can because even if it's a 30% chance that player is a rotation guy in two, three years, having that at a couple million a year is incredibly valuable. And now can I talk about the most ridiculous because pick protection that we've had in a long time?
0: Oh yeah, let's hear it.
1: So we've talked for years about the Lakings pick. Well, not for years because that pick create, was created a year ago. But the idea of the pick that Sacramento owed originally... Guess that was Yeah, it was originally Philadelphia because of the, well, the move to clear space that became Rajon Rondo. But it became a part of the move from three to one. So now that we know the Sixers are getting the pick from the Lakers in the number 10 pick in 2018, the entire obligation is on 2019. And so that's why this gets ridiculous. So Boston gets Sacramento's first round pick. Actually, they get the better of Sacramento or Philly in case Philly misses the playoffs. First round pick. Unless that pick is number one. If that pick is number one, Philly keeps whichever pick that is and Boston gets the other one. So theoretically, if the Kings, even though they're worsening the lottery odds for the worst teams, if whether they have good odds or bad odds, the Kings jump to number one, Philly gets that pick and Boston gets what will probably be something in the mid-20s.
0: Yeah, well, there'll be uh, some people, everybody's going to be rooting for the Kings to lose. Next year. I'd be very interested to see what they look like with that pick protection. They've always had some kind of pick protection that they're trying to avoid, but this year they're losing their pick regardless. Um, what else do we have to talk about with these guys?
1: Well, what other you talked about this kind of being the last shot for the Sixers. Pick. That pick, that that potential swap right is basically the only extra first the Sixers have moving forward after this year. They still have a couple of stray seconds from some from the Knicks, but nothing too big there. And I'm really excited to see where they where they go with kind of all these younger players and as you said we kind of treat it as a given that teams are going to just let those guys play out their contracts and all that but i think we're going to see more movement with these players because there are so many other teams around the league that have very little flexibility so you know moving around young guys for picks and all that is really a way that they can shake up their team a little bit without giving up too much so maybe Justin Anderson or you know Furkan Korkmaz or somebody gets moved just because another team makes you a good offer
0: yeah or even if they even just from a roster spot standpoint you know if they use the 26th pick I mean and they have number 10 coming in uh if Poseschnix wants to come over this year and they have to bring him in you know, number one, that's kind of difficult because it would eat into their cat space. But if they're not going to be a cat space team, that won't matter as much. But maybe they just bring a bunch of guys into camp and then they try to trade uh, whoever loses that competition. Now, they might end up just having to waive them or decline some options or something like that. But, you know, I mean, these are guys who are the 26th pick. If you don't think, if you think that the new guys are better options you've kind of got a pretty good idea after a couple of years whether they're going to work out and not. tlc is someone i think a team would at least give up like a second for. or something i think he's got some potential corkma is not really sure yet i mean he, he had a lost rookie year with that foot injury but yeah that, that's something to watch here in terms of the roster crunch i mean with the 10th pick the 26th pick Pasechnik's, and then everyone who's still under contract for next year and that doesn't include Redick or bellinelli or Ilyasova or a new backup center you're already at 14 people on your roster so it does it seems like uh, posetsnik's you know he might just be over in europe for another couple of years but if they use both of these somebody who is under contract for next year when i say both of them i mean both 10th and 26th if they use them both then there's gonna have to be some of these guys in the lower end of the roster who are moved
1: i have a little bit of bad news for you yes posetsnik is latvian not lithuanian you know
0: why i screwed it up because i i my lithuanian friend told me how to pronounce it and so then i was like oh he's lithuanian but no he's latvian i'm surprised you didn't look that up already
1: i did and forgot to tell you
0: (sighs) um rookie extensions i don't see justin anderson being significantly engaged in extension talks tj mcconnell they could extend him up to the josh richardson level that four years low over 40 million dollars Should they so desire? I don't think that that will happen either unless they can get them on something that's pretty cheap, but that would eat into their 2019 space.
1: The only way I could see that happening is if they spend the space this year. And they find out something more definitive unfolds where they know that. And then that, I don't think that would be in the off season. It would be in through the because the extension window for veterans is a lot longer than the rookie yes. extension window. So maybe they figure out something during the season with him or theoretically Rashawn Holmes. But Rashawn Holmes doesn't really make much sense. So I, I would expect it would be McConnell or nothing. And, you know, having McConnell at a minimum hold, even if he's an unrestricted free agent, if they're going into next summer with space could be really valuable.
0: Yeah. And you can see Holmes being another guy. In his fourth year, I thought he took a little bit of a step backward last year. Not a guy who played at all in the playoffs. Probably not a playoff player. Maybe he could get there, but just not the toughest guy. Doesn't execute that well defensively. You know, I think they might want to get a more versatile backup center. He's someone that other teams could use maybe. Uh, He does have that team option, as you mentioned, but he's also not guaranteed. So you could see him maybe being traded as well, depending on, like, I think they can get an upgrade from him, even just for the veterans minimum off the free agent big market potentially so that th- he might be another candidate to just not be on the team when the season starts sure uh, let's talk a little uh, michael porter jr here and, and unfortunately we are only going to be able to talk a little because he missed nearly the entire season with a back injury at missouri you to just talk a little bit about uh, that back injury i know you read a bit, little bit about that at least in terms of what was publicly available
1: yeah so it, it, it's a, the timeline on this was crazy because it happened basically right at the beginning of the season, and so he had a a microdiscectomy in the area between his L three and his L four vertebrae, and so there's a great piece by Jeff Stotts if you if you want to go through this, and basically that is we don't know all the details, but that relates to a herniated or a bulging disc, and the good news for Porter relative to other people who have gone through this surgery is that his is higher on the back, which apparently is better for recovery. So, like, Dwight Howard had this surgery, but it was lower on his back. Tiger Woods had it a lot. If you want to read the scary stories of micro disectomies, you can, because there are a lot of players who had them and never never got back the same in various sports. But he's younger, and it's higher, and so the hope is that 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 will make it better. But, I mean, it led to him having a lost year in college, and... It's a weird circumstance for the two of us because we actually saw him play more at the Nike Hoop Summit in 2017 than he played in his entire career at Mizzou because he really only played in two games in a smidge. And those two games were not exactly encouraging.
0: No, I mean, I I almost don't even want to talk about what he looked like in those games. I mean, it wasn't close to the same player. And for this discussion, you know, I, I want to say that, you know, I'm not going to say he's going to be the exact same guy going forward. A player like him scotty pippen had uh back surgery a couple of times as well in in 1988 and in 1998 but and i think this is something that probably will affect his career at some point in the future not necessarily that he's going to look bad right now but that you know he might have some recurrence of the issues you know if that's 10 years down the line how much of a discount do you take for that i I don't know that it's that much but certainly when he came back i mean he said basically I wasn't going to be the same Mike that everyone was used to when I came back. I was just trying to help the team uh, because we only had six scholarship players uh, available. But, you know, I mean, he couldn't jump at all. You know, even just like catching a pass, coming down the lane for a fast break dunk, like he couldn't even dunk it. And this is a guy who, when healthy, had really nice rise for a 6'10 guy um, off of two feet or off a of, uh, one foot and just... Did not have that. And then, I mean, he was just, he's playing the way that you'll see injured guys play. A lot of times you can tell a guy's injured when it's, he's not really, doesn't normally have a power game, but he ends up just like kind of trying to like go through guys. And you saw that a lot from him. His decision making, he was incredibly rusty, it was awful. He's a guy who doesn't have the purest form on his jumper, but he gets like good rise. He's very dependent on getting that rise. And he wasn't getting that. So his jump shot was all over the place. I mean, it was just, A total disaster for him, but I'm I'm choosing to just completely discount what I saw in film from him there because it's just and presumably a team should be able to tell in a workout that he's not that guy anymore. If he is that guy still now even this far removed from the surgery, obviously you have to reevaluate.
1: Right, and he did a lot of like driving into crowds and all that that you wouldn't expect. And Porter was the guy at the 2017 Hoop Summit. Not I. It's it's hard to kind of put him in a box because I don't see him as. You know, like a lead ball hander he could maybe be a lead scorer maybe in the same mold that you've talked about with jason tatum because he's comfortable with the ball in his hands or jabari comfortable with the ball in his hands i'm intrigued by porter's potential as a switch defender i don't think he's going to be a lockdown guy at any position but the idea that he could do be kind of one of the other guys so you know maybe whoever's the lead person handles that and he just bounces between the other guys well enough to to hold it and the mechanics on his jump shot are solid I, i i think that it's something he's still improving but I don't see him as a knockdown shooter, but somebody who can capably hit open shots and that you don't want to leave open. And that, when you consider everything else he brings to the table, that would be pretty good for him.
0: I want to be clear just how good he looked a a year ago this time at the Hoop Summit practice. And we saw him probably three days and and then in the game where he didn't look as quite as dominating, but he had the best scrimmage in the, of anyone that where, you know, the usa team will play against the portland generals which are are a team of like local pacific northwest people who are put together to go against the team usa so they can kind of run their stuff and the, they'll keep score they have refs in that scrimmage and he was had a better performance than any usa player that i have seen in the four years i've been going to the nike hoop summit so he was absolutely dominating i think like i want to describe kind of what he was at that point point. Offensively, you know, the jump shot looked pretty good. I mean, for a guy who's six ten, can't complain about how that looked. He was able to get it off. Certainly, he's uh not very strong. You know, he weighed about two fifteen back then at the combine. He was two eleven, so he was not really been able to, with the surgery, put on any more strength. You know, you'd probably like for him to eventually get to like two twenty five, two thirty, get a lot more strength. Like he's he's not there yet. He doesn't really have any kind of power moves at all. But he does have a pretty quick first step, especially going to his right. But he can go left at times as well. He's got a very nice turnaround jump shot. He can shoot it over either shoulder, though prefers his left shoulder. Great transition player. Like, gets out, can get up for some alley-oops. And then defensively, had a couple of just ridiculous blocks. Uh, One of them in the actual game where he is, like, up above the square, coming over as a help defender, getting shots in the air. I, I do think right now he profiles as an average to below defender but we haven't i mean that's one of the biggest things that we missed out on for him in college is all right if he's really playing hard getting into a stance, trying to defend, you know, what's he look like trying to play against bigger players in the post? What's his effort level and awareness like? That's the biggest blind spot for me right now is what he looks like defensively.
1: And that will be a concern. I mean, just just moving forward with him, it's, it's a question mark. And generally in the workouts that I think he's going to be doing, the teams are going to get a great sense of that either. And yeah, he was fabulous at the hoop summit. I, I was thinking about this as an exercise. I haven't gone all the way, nearly close to all the way through my footage of the top guys. But if you could... Tell me that even without the development that a player goes through in a, in a year as young as Porter is, that the exact same player we saw at the Hoop Summit were the guy that is eligible for this draft. From what I know right now, he would be my number one without any hesitation. That's how good he was.
0: Yeah, and not only that. I mean, again, you know, you run into the trouble of small sample sizes. He, I also watched uh, all of his possessions from the twenty sixteen tournament of the Americas, where he's playing against a pretty good Canadian team, and he looked comfortable ish from the FIBA three point line at that point. Uh, you know, made some, missed some. Great transition guy. Didn't do a ton defensively, but this is that was before his senior year of high school that we're talking about now um i agree with you i mean i think he has tremendous upside as a scorer. he's got solid moves not amazing moves yet but you know he's six ten. like he's he's got a, a standing reach i think it's nine feet or over so uh, solid wingspan not amazing but i mean like wings like i mean because he definitely plays like a wing on offense i mean that's very clear like he's not you know a combo forward type of guy like he can attack off the dribble you know i think he can work in isolation he's got a developing passing game he threw some nice passes that week at the hoop summit but you know it's kind of not what he thinks of but so even you know he is a the comp is you know rudy gay i think is actually kind of an interesting one for him um you know i think he's got a higher skill level probably profiles as a better shooter than rudy gay gave maybe you know a little bit more length and was a better dunker back when when he was really young and so that's a a pretty damn good player especially if he's if he plays hard um and and just like nobody else here is really like an athletic wing that we're talking about at this level and like those players rule the nba right now like having a player like that like that is what makes the difference for your team even if you have like an all-star center you know it's not the same as having like an all-star wing who can score from all three levels like i think he can't so yeah if i agree with you i i thought seeing him i was like yeah this guy should be the number one pick he's like a big favorite to be the number one pick for me and then obviously uh, there was the back injury and you know who knows what the medical reports are going to be so it, it's uh he was the one guy though that i've seen so far and again we haven't watched all of our film yet that i'm like oh yeah like that i totally would understand if that guy's the number one pick like he's in line with some of the guys who have been number one picks. Like, I don't quite get that feeling, having watched even as little as we have, of some of the other guys and reading about them as well.
1: I have one other question for you. And Michael Porter Jr. has more control over this process than most because, A, he can choose who to work out for, but, B, control over his medical records. I mean, we've seen this in in recent years. They can have control. So let's throw out the top five just for the sake of argument. Maybe if you want to include Dallas, you can. So then from five through... 10 dallas orlando chicago cleveland the knicks and the sixers knowing what we know right now if you were his agent where would you be trying to steer him are there certain situations there of that group that you think of as meaningfully better than the others
0: Hmm, that's a good question i mean i think new york uh has nothing whatsoever on the wing right now and just desperately needs scoring so that's that would be one philly yeah, probably not i mean just because it, it'd be tough for him to develop there it, and cleveland he certainly could be like the big centerpiece there if lebron leaves you don't know, have no idea whether lebron's gonna stick around or not you know, lebron would obviously be a good mentor for him if he does stick around chicago desperately needs a small forward as well they don't really have anything uh so i think any of those situations or, orlando You know, I I would be a little wary about what happens with Jonathan Isaac and Aaron Gordon in particular being a restricted free agent. You know, I don't think I would want to be like a part of a rotation with those guys, like have to play the two or or anything like that. So Orlando wouldn't necessarily be where I'd like to go. Dallas would be fine, certainly, uh, although I don't know if they would look at him that early. And there are people have referenced some reports that like he might be a little entitled and like, you know, those are the things like with Dennis Smith last year. And it seemed like Smith's attitude certainly was fine, at least his rookie year that like you know he had a bad reputation Uh, i mean he is a coach's son after all so i I don't know how far that that goes um i mean i'm not i I don't think that he has like amazing feel you know that's he has great tools i I don't think he's gonna be a guy who's like oh man this guy's so cerebral but you know he's just a really smooth athletic score and just at 610 there just aren't that many of those guys especially guys that we're talking about who you know can be a combo forward put the ball on the floor hit the jumper, get out and transition the way we're talking about. Um, and, and I would I would recommend too, if you want to Google this, I tweeted this out a couple of days ago that uh, draft express has an interview with him spliced in with his highlights from those practices. Um, and, and, and I would recommend taking a look at that because it, just to get a, an idea of like what it was that we saw that week that has us like, so, so in such a tizzy here.
1: Yeah, I would recommend that as well. I I went through that. I actually watched that right after watching his Mizzou stuff and got sad at just, you know, the difference between it. But if he can come back to being anything close to that player, it'd be, be really special. And I think that the league is in a really good place to maximize what he does well, especially Porter's ability to be a transition player, both on and off the ball the league is is really well situated so if he grabs a defensive rebound he can push it himself if he doesn't get it he can bust down the floor like so many other guys his size have in in the modern era and as long as that team and he and i think he's he'll be a better mix than aaron gordon at like this year i talked about this how aaron gordon was settling for the three too often in transition as long as you coach porter up i think he'll do the right things on offense especially in transition and the capability is there for a whole lot with him which is why i'm so excited
0: yeah and i just really hope that he's healthy and we can see what he can do and certainly the fact that he didn't play at all he didn't develop at all this year he wasn't able to work on his body even if he does look like he's got that bounce back is worrisome and he's not a guy as i mentioned with the greatest feel he's not doesn't seem like the toughest player at this point in time but there's a lot of 18 year olds who aren't 19 year olds who aren't that necessarily and i do think he has the highest upside of any player in this draft that i've seen maybe aiden could be there too but uh you know we'll get to him when we get to him
1: and by the way i mentioned this in charlotte's offseason preview a team 11 or below if he starts falling and you need a high ceiling you know gamble i would go after michael porter especially if he gives you access to his medical records and there are a lot of teams that could fit i mean the bucks if they can compile a couple assets the wizards the Clippers, the Nuggets, any of those teams, just to get that shot at a wing, because all of them expect to be good soon enough. That if this is your last shot, he's the best you can do.
0: All right, that will do it for today. Anything to say before we sign off here?
1: Yeah, tying up with with what we did yesterday. My offseason preview for the Nets is up at the Athletic. Some different angles from what we talked about. I didn't do as much of the kind of like selling their good talent, but kind of some offseason offseason options for them. I'll have other stuff for the Athletic as well and. Yeah, it'll be a little—well, we would then—we uh, won't have a Twitter NBA show for Game 4 of the Western Conference Finals, but we will, assuming everything—we'll you know, we'll have one for Game 5 of the Eastern Conference Finals, and that'll be fun. All right, we
0: will talk to you all tomorrow night. Till then. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.